Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. All right. We are back here. It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here. And I'm talking with my good buddy, Adam T. Glass from Dallas, Texas. Say hi, Mr. Adam. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. We just said you're surviving the heat wave down there, okay? Oh, man. It is. It, Texas heat, If for those who have not been to Texas... Um, it is amazing because it, it starts to get hot from about 6.30 in the morning, and it's it stays hot until almost 9 at night. There are nights at 10.30, I step outside in my backyard, and it is still just incredibly hot. Yeah, that to me is just brutal because, like we were saying, all the concrete and everything absorbs it. And Minnesota, it'll, it'll definitely get warm during the summer sometimes, but doesn't stay around for like weeks and weeks at a time and it still kind of cools off a little bit at night at least where we're at we don't have quite the extensive asphalt network and everything that just seems to hold on to the heat like forever cool well we wanted to talk today about we we're just talking before we hit record on i think just some different concepts in the past year we've talked with uh phil and lonnie and even myself a little bit about i think there's a a time and a place for frequency if done correctly. But I think there's also, you can make an argument, a time and a place for even uh, purposely kind of backing off. I know Phil had talked about where he was down to competing in meets by only lifting uh, once a week. Um, I know I've kind of dropped to lifting only about two-ish days per week, the rest doing more uh, cardiovascular stuff on purpose. I know Dr. Lonnie's talked about uh, doing a little bit less lifting due to his academic schedule. And on the other end of the spectrum, I'd say that you've actually even gone to, say, heavier lifting, because I've been down there and lifted with you a few times now, probably even less frequently in that. So do you want to explain a little bit of what you're doing currently, and then we'll kind of cover how you ended up there and what we think is useful for people listening in? Absolutely. Um, and the first thing is, because I know a lot of people don't even get three minutes into a podcast so information we'll be covering today, three prominent authors that you can find more information on this. The first one would be Coach Marty Gallagher. He wrote a book called Purposeful Primitive, uh, maybe, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. In that book, it is a collection of uh, biographies of various lifters, athletes, bodybuilders, and how they train. And that's an area that you really can see a lot of interesting data about frequency. The... Uh, the second book, guys, that I would point you out to would be uh, the late Mike Metzger's book, um, Heavy Duty. You know, there's there's been a lot of, you know, interesting things that, that came about from the work of guys like Arthur Jones and some of them. And uh, the general population is, is flirted with that idea, but it always seems to be a little dip six weeks, eight weeks in. But I think there's more there for people to learn. And then finally... Uh, Peter Sisko and John Little wrote a book in either 91 or 92 called Power Factor Training, A Scientific Approach to Building Lean Mass, which was actually one of the first fitness books I ever purchased. And hmm. it was a completely 
goofy thing. I was in a bookstore. I was a young teenager, maybe 12, 13 years old. Um, actually, been a little bit younger than that, maybe. Uh, and I picked up that book along with an encyclopedia of bodybuilding from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the contrast between the two books was so profound. Seeing all these big, huge guys was far less important than seeing a, a repeatable formula presented. So as we look at all that, guys, if you don't want to, if, if you, if you're, if you're really wanting to see how far this can go, those are three excellent resources for you. Okay. So yeah, for me, wanted to interject too, that while I think there's a, this is a little bit different take on, I would say high intensity training also. Um, yes. Cause I've, a lot of times I'm not really a fan of that per se, but again, I think the question, which we'll get into, is what is the context, what is your goal, and also what is your experience, too? So I just wanted to interject Absolutely. that before people are like, oh, they're going down the high-intensity training nut hole, and off I go. So this is a little bit different take, I think. That, that, that would be very true. Uh, you know, and a lot, of it, a lot of it really will come down to an understanding of terms used. So where I am now, uh, around... Two years ago, I was I was hitting a point where I needed to see a change in my training frequency. Well, for the most part, being that I, I just didn't want to have to invest the same amount of time that I had been using. So in 2016, I was averaging maybe 45 minutes to an hour, uh, more or less five days a week of a lot of body weight training, calisthenics uh, training, hand balancing, that sort of thing, with a small amount of barbell lifting and some grip work included. And for me, I was mostly in a conflict trying to figure out how do I do – it's like it's the same predicament every adult's actually in, is how do I keep the fitness part going of everything else in my life? And when I got to pick and choose where I'm compromising, I can't bend too far in one direction or the other. Yeah. So I made a return to this training method with the first idea being that I believed it would save me time. So my specific goals at that point – was to continue to improve my overall strength and my body composition, which, by the way, uh, improving body composition, in, in my mind, should not be an optional part of a program. If you're doing a productive fitness program, there should be trends year by year moving in positive uh, composition. We, shouldn't, we really shouldn't see that someone's losing muscle mass and gaining fat fat year after year when they're an active lifter. Uh, and, and a lot of people, I think they're stuck. So with all that said, I needed to get my training frequency way down. Now, what has ended up happening has been, I'm at a point now where I'm only lifting once every 10 to 14 days, maybe I actually lifted this morning. And a lot of those sessions is only using five or six motions and most of the time, the working set is only two to three minutes um, of making attempts to move the bar. It's, it's very, very short. The majority of the workout time is actually going and finding 45s, carrying 45s to the rack, <laughs> loading 45s, unloading and carrying them back. Get your GPP uh, <laughs> in. <laughs> that, that's it. And, you know, like, what, you know, on days that I'm doing things like my deadlift lockout or a hip lift. Uh, I'm having to go find me 14 to 18 45s and load them all up. So it, it it's a, it's added a fun little element there. Now what I've seen from that is is really the important part of the whole deal. So I am up to a point where I've added, 
I mean, almost 30 pounds of fat-free mass uh, while dropping and staying down in body fat uh, really under the 9% mark for, for a couple of years now. It's been remarkably easy. And, if, and anyone who's ever been out to eat with me or been any social events with me, you know that I have no problem ordering pizzas or beers or ice creams or what I don't, I don't do some, whatever the, whatever goofy diet you, you may currently be on, I probably don't do that diet. So you're not getting all your uh, protein from broccoli, right? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely not doing the plant based nutrition deal. I'm definitely not doing the keto deal. I'm definitely not. I, I am just, in fact, whatever group of diets someone wants to come up with next, man, I'm just not a part of it. Yeah. I would uh, say you could be a flexitarian. <laughs> it might be that. Yeah, you know, for everyone listening, you know, here's what I'll tell you guys. I've known Michael for ten years, and so so the the application of diet out of everyone I've met is the majority of it comes from the metabolic flexibility approach that you presented years ago. And the reason that I stuck with that was here is a ton of empirical evidence that it'll work, and then here is the result of taking all of those principles and personally applying them. Uh, I think that for a lot of people, their misunderstanding of how mechanisms in the body work, the the, the real loss that they're taking month after month is financial and, and in the, the realm of frustration and gains. So for a person to continuously be stuck in a loop where they're getting into yet another plan, having to learn more terminology, having to learn more things that probably aren't even true, I think the real toll for them is they begin to believe that they can't win. Mm -hmm. So, so guys, I'll tell you this is if you're ever describing your diet to someone else and it starts to look like they are confused as you're talking to them, you're probably in a confusing plan. <laughs> like it, it's more likely that the average person knows enough to know what sounds confusing than to be that they don't know what's going on. So for a lot of people I know that are out there right now, uh, are you going to restaurants and pulling out your hair over menus for items that you can't even define what the thing is if you are just man take a look at the result i guess so what before we really talk about what that looks like mike in terms of you know how do you make these things work let's go over a couple key concepts because i think this is where a lot of people's training gets stuck the first word to talk about is intensity a lot of people would tell you that they train quite intensely but we probably should first identify what is intensity. And what I would say is what a lot of other very successful coaches and athletes have adopted, that we're defining intensity according to a scale of how long that effort can be maintained. So if you can only do something for a fraction of a second, it's probably very high intensity for you compared to if you can do it for 40, 50 seconds or a couple of minutes or even you know 30 minutes to an hour. For many, many people, the misunderstanding they have is that what they may be doing is very hard. It may be very taxing. It may be very strenuous, but is it actually intense? And the number one area that, that my mind goes to when I say that is I think about the difference between guys that lift kettlebells and guys that lift barbells. There are a lot of kettlebell lifts that are very, very strenuous because of poor leverage but the amount of working weight that the person's moving is only a fraction of what their body can handle. So what do we see with people that get into long-term kettlebell use primarily? A lot of them are really skinny, maybe skinny, strong, but it's primarily skinny. And if you've done a lot of kettlebell training, you know that. 
We go to barbell training. For most people, they lift barbells, even if they're not particularly strong compared to where they could be. We see that their workouts are typically shorter. They typically gain more weight. That really is how simple I think most people need to understand it is. It relates to time. And so you can throw I, marathon runners in there too, not to throw other people under the bus, but in general, because their events are so long and they're on more of the aerobic side, they're even smaller, at least the ones who are very competitive, all things being equal. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the comparison of it, you can see it even at the high school level. Even by the time that high schoolers are juniors and seniors, a couple of years of training effect is starting to add up there. And if you look at the difference between your shortest distance sprinters and your midterm to long distance runners, they both run, but they're already earning completely different physiques. Yeah. Uh, I was just at a 5K three weeks ago that we did a support for for a charity. And what I what really astonishes me is there are people that I saw at this event that I saw the previous year, the previous year before that. So several years now, I know that they're active runners. They probably run more in a week than I've ran in a year. But all of that running, all of that work, they still have a pot belly. They still have scrawny little calves, scrawny little arms, scrawny little neck. It's it's not really a great look for controlling uh, uh, their body. Excuse me, not really a great method for controlling body composition. And at the end of the day, for most people, when I talk to them about with the results, they're not even happy with how they look with it. Yeah. And I, you know, my question would be, well, how many runners have you met that are built like this? And it's it's most of them. And it's if you don't want to look like a runner, you need to quit acting like a runner. Uh, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's very, very simple like that. So what's the difference of it? The difference is how long they're running for. If you're moving at a pace that you can maintain for a long period of time, what we know is it's going to have a very different impact on your body than if it was a, a very short effort. Yeah. So with my training, with all that said, what do I do? I do very, very, very short sessions with very, very, very high resistance. Um, today for my session was my overhead press, my close grip bench press, a deadlift, a hip extension, and a leg press. And in in that in between those five motions, it was around 380,000 pounds lifted in 50 minutes. So, and that's apples to apples compared to all the other workouts. Well, if I was to rack and stack what kind of workload that is to anything that I'm doing in a more traditional method, what we see is that most workouts, you don't even break 3% of that workload. Yeah, so, and I'm sure you'll get into that these are also partial end ranges of motion too. So for people oh, listening, oh yeah, well I know that like, a lot of people are going to be they're going to be worried about their ego getting hurt. So here's the first thing I'll tell you as we begin this interview: if if we want to stack, how does partials work against full range of motion? Because you're worried about defending your full range of motion. Here's the deal: full full range of motion training sucks categorically. It sucks for body composition change compared to where partials will take you, and it sucks for strength building. And it really does because you're limiting yourself to the weakest part of the stroke and whatever it is. So for a lot of people, they get they, they just get antsy about it. Well, here's another thing I'll share with you. Whatever you're currently doing in a gym that you think is a full range of motion, it's not. It's, it's just not. 
Do you think the height of 45-pound plates or bumpers is a scientific assessment based on your lengths and measurements? No, it's a manufacturing standard. So a deadlift of a barbell off the floor is not a full range of motion lift any more than any other thing because it's not even – it's not like you're starting with your hip joint fully flexed and your spine fully flexed, are you? So it, it becomes a really, really big sticking point that for some people it's the reason why after 15, 20 years of lifting, they still don't have one decent achievement to share other than the fact that maybe they've been at it. So the thing I'll caution people against is don't get so attached to something that might not even be the best way for you to go. Uh, for a lot of people right now, when I ask them, what is their back squat and deadlift look like? If they're a grown man over 30, their, their answers are going to usually be that they don't do it so much anymore or they're on that program where they've been squatting 225 for five sets of five now for five, 10 years. No real progress. Their bench press has been stalled at 180 to 225 for years and years, or maybe they're really dedicated and they're the big guy at their gym and they can lift three plates, but we're not seeing tremendous numbers. You know, so the thing that I would want to know is what lift is actually important for you enough for you to go do whatever it takes to actually make it better. Um, and, and along with that, for listeners of this show, I know a lot of you guys have an interest in lifting sports, but it would be very useful to separate out if you're actually a competitor or if you have an interest in it. Yeah. Because you're not actually showing up to meets to do legal lifts in front of a judge and be scored, then why are you so attached to techniques? Most discussion of lifting techniques, it is potentially a form of a masturbation. It's 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 one of those things where, well, I mean, is it that is that the only answer? Probably not. Uh, every in every sport we see that there'll be a favorite technique adopted and then someone will come along and do something different that is bad form or violates a rule, and usually they go forward to break more records. So for a lot of folks, the, the thing I would warn them is, is don't get too attached to the how you're doing it before you're attached to what you're doing it for and, and what you're getting out of it. Yeah, and I think that's a big difference, too, between are you lifting to just get, quote-unquote, stronger, improved body comp, maybe longevity, whatever, or are you actually lifting to get better at a specific lift that has to be performed within the context of a rule on a specific day, i.e., powerlifting, Olympic lifting, some grip sports, you know, whatever. And I think a lot of people get stuck in the mindset of, okay, I got to follow powerlifting rules, even though I'm just lifting to get stronger in a better body composition. So if oh, I'm yeah. and, two inches and, above parallel, ooh, that doesn't count. It's like, well, that was an arbitrary thing, so they could, you know, judge who actually hit quote unquote depth and who didn't. So they had a way of, you know, distinguishing you made the lift or you didn't. It it be it here's okay here's 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 the biggest risk. You've only got a finite amount of time, and that amount of time is very very small indeed. So the thing is, is, is if you're going to wrap, wrap up a sport application for, for your to the totality of how you're going to get your results, it would be useful to see the limitations of it. So like here in Texas, Texas is a pretty substantial powerlifting state. It's not hard to find a powerlifting meet here and even some of these tiny little towns where there's one stop sign. 
So, you know, what, what you'll see at a Texas powerlifting meet is you've got a lot of people that are, man, just ferocious deadlifters, squatters, and bench presses. But we can go to some of the biggest powerlifting gyms here in the DFW area. You won't see too many guys that can military press even 205, 210, 215, low weights. You don't see guys that are really good in their pull-up numbers. You don't see uh, a lot of versatility in areas other than just that one thing. Now, that's not a big deal if you're a powerlifter. It is a very big deal, though, if you're someone who, you know, the real reason you're lifting is you want some more confidence because you don't feel very strong. We might waste years of your life pursuing things that you don't actually care about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that, that really, so, you know, Mike, a story, I've shared this in other interviews and other shows over the years, but I'll, I'll never forget it. Years and years ago, I had a young man come train with me at one of my very first gyms. And the first day that we talked, you know, hey, man, what brings you in? Why are you here? He said, I really want to bench press 350. Cool. That's a goal. That's a specific goal. When do you want to have it done? I want to have it done this year. We've got an idea of when we're doing it. Let's get going. A couple months goes by. He successfully bench presses 350 pounds and we rack the weight and I'm expecting to see this big grin or smile or yell or something. And instead, it's this look of complete disappointment, absolute disappointment, said, what's wrong? He said, I thought I would look bigger. (laughs) So here we are. You now can do exactly what you said you wanted to do, except the problem is, is that's not what you wanted to do. Yeah, you you know he had it in his head that that he would look a certain way if he could move that weight. And the problem we get into is, well, you know, some people, man, they have outstanding leverage. Some people, they have outstanding connective tissue strength. Some people have just amazing muscle layout across their skeleton. It's very hard to say that because someone lifted any particular amount of weight that that would equal them looking a particular way. It's it's just, it's you know, that's a hard thing. So I, with all those stories in line, for a lot of people, I think what they really want is they really want to look a certain way more than any other thing, which means that for the majority population, I would propose that they're all, for the most part, just amateur bodybuilders doing shitty programs for their diet shitty programs for their exercise. Yeah, because so you go to most wide, gyms and ask people, you know, do you want to actually be stronger or do you want to look a certain way? And I agree, I would say probably 80-ish percent, if I were to guess, people are lifting there to change how they look and performance is just kind of, eh, you know, there's exceptions to that. But I agree that making sure that you know what is your goal and what you're trying to do because that's two different paths even though they're related they're they're two different ways you can go tremendously uh the 24-hour fitness that i train on lake worth we have nine thousand plus members on the roster and judging by what i see being up there um you know quite a bit over the last two years there are a lot of people that they're doing performance style training because they think it's going to get them to a physique that they want, but they don't have a metric in place that's really guiding them other than the fact that they're just unhappy before they're at today. Yeah. The, the danger I would have is I would want any person who's, who's just so certain that once they look a certain way, they're going to actually be pleased. 
you need to go talk to some people that do physique competition. Yeah. <laughs> because they might be the best looking people you'll ever meet who hate how they look. They're never lean enough. They're never cut enough. They're never big enough. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, uh, it, it is, it is, uh, it's a pickle that they get into. So, you know, f- I, the reason I say all those things for people, because if you've heard enough to say, well, I don't, I'm not really trying to get tied up in that here, here'd be the counterpoint. What if the reality is, is that when the intensity is high enough, you do not need more than a tiny amount. And it deals with the fact that there are two finite things that are going to occur. You have a finite amount of recovery that you can make at any given point in time, and you have a finite amount of forward progress you can make. So anyone who's been lifting weights for any amount of time knows the truth. The truth is muscular gains are really slow. They're really slow because it deals with there is a number of tissues that have to increase in proportionate rigidity. It's not just your muscles. It's, it's the connective structures that hold your whole body together. So for some folks, they may be able to make a tremendous mathematical improvement in their output, be it their speed, their endurance, their strength, and how much their tissue needed to change to get there might be overall not, not very noticeable because the first levels might deal with energy pathways, how recovery is taking place, energy being used, the efficiency of those movements. And then as time's going forward, one of the issues we have is that certain tissues in the body are just in a position to recover faster than others, dealing with a lot of other factors. But here's what I would say. Whatever you do today, there's only a, there's a particular amount that you can be recovered for tomorrow. And in the event that you were recovered, it's only a particular amount of more you could get. So don't don't get too wrapped up in these stories that little Billy bought a, one container of protein powder and by adding a scoop of protein to his diet every day, he put on 25 pounds this month. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Maybe little Billy did, but he probably didn't. So w- with that being said, this is this is the thing. Most people don't lift. So so they've got their own kind of problem. But out of people who do lift – there's a lot of work being done in a low intensity uh, area, and then it's not being progressed by density. So what you end up with is it's a fairly static equation. If the comparison was that or nothing, well, then clearly that is better than nothing. But when the comparison goes from what was done six months ago to what was done today, and for everyone listening, hey, man, you're, you're going to be in one of two boats right now. You've either got a training log and you could even answer this question or you don't. <laughs> you're either doing better or you're not. And that's it. And if you're saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to maintain right now, then you are worse. I guarantee it. If we go to the gym right now to max out on your favorite lift, whatever it is, it could be a, it could be a one finger reverse lateral raise, whatever it is. I bet you suck at it today compared to what you, what your story is of when you were best at it. And it's mostly because you're not paying attention to it. Whatever you take your eyes off of, it's going to fade away. Yeah, so I just think about how many people go, go to any commercial gym and how many people do you ever see even write anything down? And I'm like, you're going to tell me that you remembered what training session you did last week, two months ago, 
three months ago. I think it's it's one thing to say, okay, I've prioritized other things in my life, and I know that I'm X you know percent behind from where I was, versus oh, I think I'm okay, and then you go to actually test anything, and they are so far off from where they think they are. Um, that drives me a little bit insane. But. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm astonished at there, you know, there's a whole industry that is focused around bringing you into the gym to show you what you do suck at. So yeah. for example, <laughs> uh, anyone who knows anything about corrective exercise, well, I don't know if you know as much about it as Mike or myself does, here's what we all know, what the big joke is, what we're all laughing our asses about when we're sitting around at a bar top or a dinner table Corrective exercise is a scam, bro. Here's what's going to happen. I bring your mom in because she's feeling like she needs to lose some weight as a corrective exercise guy. Well, let's go grab a broomstick and have you hold it over your head to squat. Oh, ma'am, your overhead squat is terrible. Well, of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. 
you know, I'd be let's, shocked let's, if she did it great. <laughs> that's it. It's 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 the, so this you know the first step of all corrective exercise programs that I've been introduced to is is day one we're gonna pull up a bunch of crap that you don't do, therefore you probably don't even need to do it. You're gonna you're gonna have your mind blown as the person being tested because of course you're gonna epically fail. And if you'll do the things they ask you to do, then guess what? When you retest again, you're going to do better on the test because that's the nature of human beings. Give any human any test today and then allow them to retest later and they'll do somewhat better. If nothing else, at least they'll write their name out in the right format this time. Y'all have been to college, know these kind of stories, right? There's no test you can take twice and do worse the second time. So when, when you start to when you start to look at, at, at how you're being told that these are your weak areas, here's a couple areas that I'll give you. Number one, when you're finding yourself confined to only particular planes of direction, you've got a bigger problem going for yourself than what any particular quantity of motion is. So if you're a guy that you've lost the ability to do a push-up, a bench press, all these things because of a shoulder injury – I think it's a bigger problem that you're going to keep training in all these other positions than to do something about it. So it's the avoiding type thing. It doesn't mean that you should have this bench press in proportion to that row as much as there are 15 ranges of motion potential at the shoulder between the scap and the clavicle uh, cronium area there. All right. And if you only have 13 out of 15, you're going to have problems. Your spine has a finite number of motions, but I'll tell you what, it's more than two. So if you're <laughs> someone who your training has always been only one position of your spine, only moving in one or two directions, you've got more problems potentially than someone who does a manual labor job and never has lifted weights in a gym in their whole life. So it's a, it's a missing motions equation, not how well you do motion patterns. Does that make sense, Mike, how I say that? Yeah, and I think that's what people forget, right? And I'm not against, you know, heavy sagittal lifts or anything like that, but you also have to make sure that you keep some level of moving like a normal human being, right? Like we've all seen people who probably do way too much bench press to the exclusion of like everything else, and they just don't move very well. Right. So, and it, and what's interesting too is what I've noticed with people is it doesn't take that much movement to keep a movement. Right. So I'll have someone in between, like, a, I don't know what I write the other day. I had someone do a bench press and then a row. And in between, kind of while they're resting, I had them do just a lateral hop and stick. So just a frontal plane movement. Can you hop to the right? Stay on one foot for three to five seconds. Hop to your left. Nothing crazy, nothing loaded, nothing fancy but just that little bit of movement sometimes in a different plane of motion just body weight stuff a lot of times is enough to keep that motion in your sort of vocabulary you don't need to train all different movements loaded and everything else but i think a lot of times like you said when you're missing a complete range of motion you're gonna run into an issue at some point oh very much i think about uh Every in every gym where there's where there's a, a good lifting, some good lifting going down. There, everyone's got that one guy. He comes in and he can squat 600, 800 pounds, 
and doesn't even break a sweat. He broke his sweat when he was tying his shoes to squat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's that's just a it's a crazy thing to me is that it's weird to me that you'd be strong enough to go out and pick up my car, but you're not strong enough to just sit down on the floor to play with a two year old for a minute. Yeah. And that's what I think for a lot of people, the the real sticking point they have is, you know, people are getting tied up more and more on on goofy little weird points of functional movement. Like what a couple of years ago, everybody started getting hit on the crawling and all of a sudden every person's supposed to be crawling in all their workouts. Well, I don't know. I mean, is 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 that really been the big payoff for some people? Have I seen people truly drop everything else they're doing to crawl around? Of course, no, you don't. And why is it for most folks? Because how much of it they're going to need is a little bit, but if you're missing it, it's a big component. Yeah. So um, practice reps, that idea that if you're going to be pulling heavy today, you know, if you're a mid 500 pound puller, why are you in a gym warming up of 225? What do you think you're doing? If why would why would you need more reps to to? What, did you really think you forgot how to pick something up off the floor last night when you went to bed? <laughs> There's just it's a lot of waste. It is. And, you know, as someone who's who who's competed in sports where the goal was to lift the most weight and and to come out and really to have a big diversification of lifts, it was astonishing to me to hear people's training when we would be talking about what they had done to get ready for the meet, which is a side note for any listening. You guys might not know this, but Mike Nelson's competed in more strongman and grip contests than probably any five of you listening put together. <laughs> hey, Mike, we're doing a contest this yeah, Saturday. Can you and Jody up. come out? Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> show up and lift. And even that's a great example because, Mike, even when you weren't trying to get better at a different event, I can look back at numbers and you did a meet in March and then a meet in May and you improved all your numbers on it. Yeah, I looked at my records. It's funny. I was writing an article about that and I did, I think, 12 or 13 and I improved overall on everyone except the last one and the last one was just a shit show of i didn't really train for it at all and was finishing my phd and blah 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 so i purposely i wasn't really putting in the work so it wasn't expected that i would do better um but yeah all the other ones i got better and it wasn't like i was doing a ton of work i'd add eh, a couple of grip things here and there at the end of each training session so but it had a point it had a purpose i knew what was coming up and I knew what I had to work on too. So it wasn't just utterly random and it worked out. There was, you know, a little bit of method in there also. So the thing I'd like to point people to, the whole purpose behind this conversation, the first thing would be is that for me, I value my time very much so. And it's I have no problem taking an hour and just sitting down and doing nothing if that was the choice to be made. But I really hate it when I have to do something that I'm just having to do and I can't connect to a purpose. And here's been the biggest change that I've seen in training over a couple of years really pursuing this. The first thing has been that instead of having the psychological burden of wondering you know, am I backsliding this week because I have to get an overtime with my job and I'm going to be traveling with my spouse or we've got a big home project that we're doing? I don't have these these worries that I'm somehow backsliding in the game when I've only been able to get into gym sporadically. Whereas for most people, 
it's one of the quickest frustrations that derails them is they think they're supposed to be in four times a week. This week they're only going to get in once. And if they can only get in once and nothing else, there's a, there's a whole group of the population that they say, well, then this must be pointless. And then they begin doing directly counterproductive behaviors, you know? So, Oh, I missed, I missed my healthy meal and now I'm just going to eat whatever I want to eat to the point where I hate myself. Yeah. We can get people out of that loop if they understand what's going on. The, the second part about it is you'll quit finding yourself falling off the wagon of chasing things that just don't really matter. It's It's been a funny thing to me. We've got a – at one of the gyms that I train at, they've got a new Olympic lifting program coming online. So the first thing they're trying to do is they're trying to justify all the money they spent getting these coaches trained up to more or less be able to use motions that the general population they're working with will never need. <laughs> so they've got these people coming in and, you know, they're doing 45 minutes of trying to snatch balance on a bar and they're trying to stretch out their wrists because none of them can clean because their spines are so bent out of shape because they're office workers and just all this ridiculousness. And here's what happens more and more. People come in, they get started, they really feel stuck. And when they're looking around the room, the thought in their mind is they're the they're the they're the last person that should be there. You've got 20 people in a room all doing the same dumb thing, and every one of them thinks they're the worst one out of the group. <laughs> it's not a recipe for people to keep going, man. And I think that this is something that could be for everybody. I don't I don't think that a person has to choose between I'm either like a fit kind of person or I'm not. I see the value of their bodybuilding and, and strength program could be just like brushing your teeth and clipping your toenails. There's a frequency that it needs to be done and you don't really got to talk about it or plan for it all that much. You just get it done and then that's it. You know, not a lot of podcasts going on right now talking about how to take care of fingernails for men because you either bite them off or clip them off and that's that. <laughs> and I your think toenails strength, tap on the floor, you better cut right? them. Right? That's it, man. <laughs> and, and, you know, in a lot of ways... That's it. And and who are the people that resist this information the most? The people who could benefit from it the most. That's the craziest thing is the people who ask me the most questions that I can tell that they're, they're just taking issue with it for some reason are people that are trainers. And they're always looking for what's the hole. Well, here's the real hole. You're not going to be able to sucker people into paying you to work with them five days a week with what I'm proposing. You're going to get to work with them maybe one time a week for a couple of weeks. Then the frequency left go down to once every 10 days. And then that's where you're going to be tested because if you're, you're either training them and they're getting the results or they're not getting the results and they're not feeling you. But I'll tell you this is if you can't make it work with something that works every time, bringing them in four or five times a week becomes a riskier strategy because of every session you're with them is another chance that they might decide that they don't even need you. <laughs> so for me, I propose the thing that you think is going to happen to you with this model, I feel is the opposite. So I have people that I've been able to show that, look, you keep telling me that you want to get in shape and you can't train three days a week. I'm going to need you to lift three days a month. Can you make it work? And man, the people that can find three hours per month to train are getting some pretty awesome results. Yeah. And you got rid people, of their biggest uh, issue too, right? Because most people, if you were to poll them, would say, well, I just don't have time or I can't afford a trainer in cost, right? So you've kind of eliminated the two biggest barriers, I think, for a lot of people. You know, and let's talk safety for a second. Most people are going to tell you 
that the reason they're not currently doing any particular fitness activity after the time reason is because of a previous injury that they don't want to aggravate or they think they will get hurt doing it. And the thing that I would point out is the reason people get hurt in the gym most of the time is they're doing things that are very poor for their body to do motion-wise with an amount of resistance that allows them to keep doing it. So, for example, uh, for those of you that have met Mike, if you guys have ever met his wife, Jody, Jody's come up to the gym with us sometimes. I've seen Jody move some really heavy weight proportionate to the fact that she's a lightweight woman. The way that we had her do it was where she only had to move a weight an inch or two. But you have to understand, as soon as that weight came off the pins, all of the tissue of her skeleton had to do its job to do its job, right? Nothing just moves on its own accord. There is there is tissue doing work there. Well, I've had people tell me that, you know, they think that a heavy rack pull is dangerous, so they're currently doing all these goofy lightweight pulls. The thing is this. If it was a heavy rack pull, there's probably only one way you're going to make it move, and that's the right way using all of your structure. But if we've got you using 10% of what your skeleton's capable of, now you're in the recipe to get all kinds of hurt. More people are injured with lightweight doing dumb shit than there are people lifting heavyweight that are getting hurt. Yeah, and you see that even in people who I would say are advanced lifters. You know, it's like, oh, I did this, and then it, it's... There are people who get injured under heavier load, but I'd say it's, in my experience, very rare. I mean, even hear stories of advanced lifters who are like, oh, I did my warm-up and something happened, or I bent over to tie my shoe and my back went out, or whatever, right? I mean, those stories are relatively common. All the time, man. For most most people that are very serious about their fitness, it's a continuous process of working around things. And some people are going to tell you that that's just how it is and that's how it's got to be, all these different things. But I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that, that there are certain motion choices that people have selected. And because of the fact that they insist upon making it look a certain way to please others, there's a higher risk of injury with it. Yeah. Uh, or I, I'll, I'll or tell a you minimum this. stalled progress. Oh, man. And, and the rate of stalls is particularly bad. You know, uh, how much, what percentage of increase have you seen this year in the motions you're actively training? That That's a great question that I'd have for every person. So we're, we're the sixth month of 2018. A lot of you made a choice to really see where you were at back in January. What percentage of increase are you at? And when you're not seeing some type of proportionate increase in some kind of measurable direction, the next thing that, that I, my question would be is, well, what has been hurting that, that makes it so? And what I do know is this, is if your elbow is hurting right now in June, you got two problems. If you keep doing everything you're doing, it'll probably still be hurting in August. And if you quit doing everything you're doing, it'll definitely still be hurting in August. <laughs> so do you understand the way out? And if you don't understand the way out, I think it'd be a good thing for you to learn. Like – Sooner than later, before you pay another $2,000 to get a piece of paper with some random letters on it, I recommend that you figure out how to get yourself out of pain because it, it becomes it becomes such a it becomes such a terrible cycle when someone starts getting hurt in a gym 
They accept that it's simply part of the gym story, and then they're teaching other people Ugh. what they've been doing to get hurt. Yeah, that's a. You go to any fitness place and you present and you ask, okay, how many people here, fitness professionals, have been injured? Pretty much everyone raises their hand. Which on one oh, hand, yeah. okay, maybe I get it. You're learning, don't know. You're actually practicing, okay. But then you ask people, how many people, as of now, currently have let's say pain greater than a three or four out of a scale of 10. And you'd be shocked at like how many people raise their hand and even more shocked when you ask them and they go, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Really? <laughs> that's just the way it is. And then you're teaching other, I don't know. That's mind boggling. It, uh, it's, it's, uh, there, there are so many, there's so many people that have the right heart and the right intentions in this industry. But unfortunately, the right heart and the right intentions is not what can get people where they need to go. Uh, you know, I remember I remember in Minneapolis when we saw the CrossFit boom. It went from there was like a big CrossFit in St. Paul and a big one in, Minis- in Minneapolis to being a CrossFit every 75 feet. And every little hole in the wall shopping center, industrial complex, etc. And and what you had was you had a bunch of guys that they decided that lifting at their gym was crap. They needed a special place to do these workouts so that they could be working on their underwear together. They pooled all their money together. They all opened up a ton of CrossFit gyms. They popped up all over the Twin Cities. And within two years, it went from kind of a neat thing that the fittest person you knew was doing to the place you go when you want to get yourself lined up on a good chiropractic plan. And we haven't seen that trend change. So people that have hurt themselves Olympic lifting are hurting other people Olympic lifting. Prom's not the Olympic lifting. I'll, I'll tell that right. That's not there. There are lots of successful coaches. The problem is the monkey did a dumb thing, and then another monkey saw him, and he said, please teach me that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know this. The The craziest thing is that we're, as a nation, there's more gyms in America than there probably are gyms in all of the rest of the world combined. Oh, yeah. And there are more Americans writing and talking and blogging and, you know, podcasting and periscoping about fitness in, in any given week than there have been probably in all decades combined. But yet we are the sickest, unhealthiest, fattest population that's ever existed in some ways we might just be the worst man uh and 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 the reason it's going to keep going that way for the majority is because it's all about what's it look up front does the front look good if the front of the house has nice drapings in the windows we assume that the whole place is solid and safe and for a lot of folks the man they're just being sold bad deals I think it's a bad deal to think that you need to be in a gym 28 days out of a month in order to see progress. I think it's a bad deal to think that you need to train twice a day. I think it's a bad deal for you to believe you need to be doing 50 minutes of low-intensity cardio day after day. And and the reason I think those is because I don't have great evidence to show that it, it works. Um, Mike, how often do you see a gap between what a study says does or doesn't work and what the average result seems to be from people doing it? Um, I would say depending on the study, a fair amount, probably for two reasons. One, you know, may not be that population, right? So it may not even apply, right? A lot of times people in fitness, way 
overextend the study population. Oh, it was a rat study. Oh, so it must work in humans. Or it was done in 71-year-olds. Oh, it must work in 20-year-olds. Um, outside of that, what I've been super interested in for a long time is studies are now actually publishing the raw data a lot of times in the study. And if you've ever looked at actual raw data done from studies on humans, where they're really trying to control things as much as possible, there's pretty good amounts of variability. Like I remember one study Stu Phillips presented, man, probably 10 years ago at ACSM, and they were looking at a training intervention. And he shows the graph of the raw data, well-controlled study, well done. Most of the people are kind of in the middle. There's still a pretty big range. There's two guys way up at the top of the chart, like two, maybe even almost three standard deviations above in terms of results. And there's one poor bastard below the line who actually got worse during the study. And they were talking about, well, maybe there's some extreme responders to different studies. And what's interesting is they tried to control everything as much as possible. Um, so they went on to do some follow-up studies on the two sort of extreme responders who happened to be brothers. So they thought, well, maybe it's a testosterone thing, maybe it's a genetic thing. The short answer is no one really knows yet. There's a bunch of different theories. Um, but all of that taken together is that I believe that a lot of the responder, non-responder stuff is just people doing a program that wasn't the right program for them. And unfortunately, in terms of research, we're not really at the perfect point where we can say and predict into the future of, okay, you have this, this, and this, do this program. But kind of what you were saying is that people can do it on themselves all the time, right? So if they're keeping track of the results, they're doing more work, they're doing more volume, they're doing more density, hey, my right elbow doesn't hurt as much anymore. Over time, if they track, they'll be able to figure out what is working better for them. And I agree with what you're saying that if their goal is just to have better body composition and they've been doing whatever X plan for the last decade, eh, maybe they should try something a little bit different, right? I used to call that the, the Costanza principle. Yes. Or, uh, whatever that episode of Seinfeld where George all of a sudden starts doing everything the opposite of what he's ever done in his life, like everything starts working out for him. I often joke that that's if the 30-second elevator speech, right? You get trapped in the elevator and someone's like, oh, what do I do to get a better body composition? I'm like, do the opposite of everything you're doing now. If you live on the treadmill doing low-intensity exercise, go find some weights. If you feel like you need your whatever sports drink to do your 30 minutes on the treadmill, stop having your sports drink. You sleep five hours a night, sleep 10 hours a night. You know, the, the fastest way to get to where you want to go is probably the direct opposite of everything that you've ever done. Because you're really good at showing what you've done now is not working, right? So the, <laughs> the logical place to start is probably the direct opposite of everything that you've done before. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but if you've got, you know, 30 to 60 seconds with someone, that's probably going to be a better direction to go in. Uh, you know, what are the, one of the, the final kind of thoughts I'd like to connect to that it would be there are – there are some really wide indicators of things that seem to indicate someone is, is very healthy or on track to be. And for a lot of people, I would say, you know, find out what those things are. Like, I'll give you one, okay? It is a documented medical fact that there seems to be some correlation to the crushing strength a person can display in their hand and their overall health. 
Yep. Now, what I can tell you is looking small scale, talking only about you, whoever you are, is I could show you how you could use crushing strength as a way to gauge every single part of a workout. So, so the thing is, is that we could look at, okay, well, this, this seems to indicate something and what can we use that for? And we could do that for a lot of things, range of motion. We could do it of speed. We could do it of coordination, but, but the attachment to all those things is we're really looking for the idea of better, better. Most of the time at its simplest level, it means more than before. And I think that's really key. Now, are there people out there that more is not as important as, as something getting smoothed or refined? Absolutely. So, so do that though. If you're a, if you love baseball and you're trying to improve your batting, it might make sense that we really need to work on how you're swinging the bat rather than how fast you're swinging it, how hard you're swinging it. So here's my question. Do you actually have like film of you swinging a bat from three months ago? You know what I mean? If, if you're for, – for my training, a lot of my training for my calisthenics, I'm not trying to go from doing one rep to doing 10. I'll go from doing a, a, a thing a particular way to, to changing up either either the, the speed or the fluidity or something like that. So it becomes a very easy way to keep track of something because the amount of handstand push-ups I can do consecutively has been more or less the same for two and a half months now. But what those reps look like is completely different. Two months ago, what, what I called a rep, and right now what I call a rep, very, very different. And it's something that I can point at. It, it lets me know that I'm on track. Um, so, so that could be a way you could look at it. For some people out there, you might say, well, I'm not really worried about how much stronger I'm getting. Well, then are you looking for something that's better? Um, and the final thing I'll connect on that is that I don't think tracking how tired you get at things is the right area of focus. So if you go to the gym and your goal is to get yourself as tired as possible, you may be successful, but it doesn't mean anything is necessarily getting better. What I would propose is in any given unit of time, how much work can you do before you get tired rather than how tired can you get? And, and that makes a, tr a really big shift on it. Uh, I don't know. Mike, what have you seen with your training over the last couple months since the last time you were down here with me? Um, so what I've done is it's, it's kind of funny you were mentioning about um, training and how long you can go between lifts and things like that. So what I said was since I was gone for 34 days in uh, April – in May, then I was gone again in the first part of May, and then I was just gone again for 11 days. Now, oddly enough, I'm going to Costa Rica on Friday, and we have this oh, crazy uh, exercise contest. We're doing like trap bar deadlifts, bench press, pull-ups, squats, dumbbell incline presses, I think. All like back-to-back -back with like 40 seconds to rest, and you do that for three rounds. So today, oddly enough, I was in the gym just testing to see where I was. And the funny part is I knew this was coming up like three months ago. And I'm like, okay, I have to decide, am I really going to try to specifically train for this with everything else coming up? And I actually kind of said, eh, no, I'm just going <laughs> to keep doing what I was doing before. And I'll see how I can do about what I was the same. Because for me, it was more of a lifestyle thing. It's like if I'm going to be in South Padre, Texas for two weeks, yeah, I went to the gym there probably five times. We did some training. 
but my goal is to kiteboard as much as possible. So I got to ride 12 out of 14 days. So I'm saying all that to look back to see what is your overall goal? Are you getting better at those things? Do you measure those things you're getting better at? So my goal was to get better at kiteboarding. So I bought a device that'll measure how high I jump and how fast I ride. So my goal was to jump 20 feet and to ride uh, over 30 miles an hour. And I got close. I got 29.9 miles per hour. I got 15.6 feet up. So relatively close within just a week period of time. Um, so oddly enough, I was testing my lifts today and I went back and compared them to where I was in terms of all-time best and things of that nature for reps. And they're not really that far off. You know, and the, the funny part is, like, I haven't done any direct practice on any of them, really, other than maybe some dumbbell incline work for probably like six months. But I've done enough to maintain where I was at, which isn't really that much. Right, Or if I would have just said, ah, screw it, I'm busy for three months, I'm not going to exercise at all, I'm just going to do nothing, yeah, then everything is going to regress backwards pretty fast. So at your point when you're saying about if you're not doing anything to actively maintain where you're at, you're not going to be maintaining. So I'll test myself over periods of time to see where exactly that is. And over a period of time, I have a pretty good idea of where that is. So that allows me to say, okay, I want to work on this as my main priority for this block period of time. And I know pretty much how much I need to do to maintain the other parameters that I want. Where I think a lot of people just switch from one goal to the next and don't even think about, well, what is the minimum I need to do to maintain these other motor qualities? And then they're always feeling like they're trying to catch back up with where they were before in addition to probably doing too many goals at the same time. Oh, the pain of chasing those glory days. Yeah. In here, in, school, here in like DFW, like, <laughs> we, we get, I, I would say this, I would bet there is a very fair chunk of men that would share with you that, you know, whatever the totality of their strength training is, they got it here in playing football. They oh, probably Christ, have a, a great accumulation of, uh, wisdom and, and knowledge they were giving specific to be a better football player and probably most, mostly specific to their position. So the, the issue seems to be that, that I observed just here, you know, just the story of one guy. I see a lot of guys that they're coming in and, and what's, what's kind of apparent is it's been a layoff, meaning they probably, you know, got married in the last three years or they've had a kid in the last two years or a major job change this year, right? And as they're getting back into it, it's very obvious that their plan is to basically plug themselves back in to August 1987, <laughs> doubles, that, that whole thing. And the, the, the real tragedy of it is, is they lost the most important thing they had the first time through. The biggest thing they had going for them in high school was they were open to learn new things. That was the actual advantage. So if you played any high school sport and you had somebody show you something, the real value of the story is that at that time in your life, you were coachable and teachable. And my question would be is for wherever you're at now, are you still? Like I'll be the first one to tell you guys, for me at age 35, I've been training now for 22 years. Uh, I don't know. The, the, between all the contests and the stupid things, I decided to go chase on for myself. I'm not particularly coachable, teachable, or trainable. 
I'm not like I haven't read a fitness article. I don't even know the last one I read over three years, <laughs> over three years. Uh, I don't really get in on a lot of podcasts. It's not because I don't like podcasts. It's because most time, if I actually wanted to talk about health or fitness or something, there are people I know that I could just directly talk with them about it. Um, I'm at a point in my life where I have stopped looking to other people to solve that problem. I've been looking within and what I'm counting on is that uh, I can read at at least a fifth grade level. I have a pen, I have a journal, and I have access to a weight room, and I have whatever amount of time that I've been giving to be here. So f- for me, my answer is for a lot of folks is if you're stuck, the real issue might be how coachable are you at this point? And remember, I, I'm not necessarily meaning others, someone else to do it. It's can you coach yourself? Like if you were your own coach, would you be keeping yourself or firing yourself? And uh, really on both ends is both coach and client. Like, are you, are you really, are you really looking at where you're trying to get to and evaluating what do I need to do this? Um, and then as a person who said, who claims they want to go somewhere, are you making choices that make sense? Um, coaching women in boot camp programs. It's something that I, I never thought I would be doing. I've done a man, I've done a lot of it. Many, many, many hours of it. And I personally would have picked myself to be a terrible coach to women because I'm not particularly sympathetic. I can be empathetic, but I just <laughs> suck at sympathetic. And the reason I suck at it is because if the primary issue deals with body composition, for most people The real thing we've got going on here is nobody did anything to you, but what you did to yourself. And that's really key because, you know, you're, if you're, if you're 70 pounds overweight, it's unless there's someone breaking into your house every day and making you eat at gunpoint or something, we've kind of got a problem here because the person who's, who's mainly in control of the problem is the only person who can make the solution work. So for a lot of folks, the, the real issue we get into is your issue is not motivation. Motivation is a short-term kind of deal. Yeah. Mot- motivation is, is, you know, like right now, I'm looking at my backyard. I don't want to go mow this lawn today, but that is going to happen next. I will figure out a way to get three minutes of motivation mustered together to get the lawnmower fired. But once the lawnmower is firing, it really will just come down to the dedication to seeing the job completed. And motivation is very easy to get. It's essentially free and it's basically cheap because it's quick. Dedication, very, very hard. Completely different set of uh, rules attached to it. So for anyone who's hearing this, you know, the thing I'd want you to really think about is what are you actually dedicated to by the vote of your time, your action, and your dollar? Not what you say. Who cares what you say? What do you do with your time, your money, and your energy? And if, if we can get something changed right there, you probably will get a lot closer to where you're going in the next six months before we hit January 2019 and get to see all those fun, fun, fun New Year, New Me posts of doing the same thing. Yeah, I think it was, I don't know if it was Dave Ramsey or someone said if, if I want to figure out what someone values, I just look to see where they spend their time and where they spend their money, you know, and I've, 
you know, I charge a lot for online training and I've had college students pay the same fee as people who I know made over a hundred thousand a year. And some people who made way more than that, who said what I charge is absolutely insane. And there's no one that's going to pay that price. And it's just not a priority to them at, at that point, And maybe it doesn't fit their specific needs either, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you kind of have to decide what are you going to do? Where are you going to spend your time? What are you going to spend your money on? And then do those match the goals that you say you want to achieve? Oh, you know, I, I would say this too, especially for anyone that has personally reached out to you. Man, if you guys think what Mike charges is too much, then I recommend that you just do what Mike did. Go to college for the next 25, 26 years. Get your doctorate knocked down. Invest hundreds of hours having to do studies and research and, and work for other people. You know, just do all that, and then you won't even have to pay the money. It'll be no big deal. Yeah, there you go. Just, you know. You know, the, the reality is this, is that the fact that you can go to somebody and they can compress decades of time for you down into minutes is is easily worth money, considering that money is, okay, I mean, y'all realize money is not a real thing, right? It's just an idea. Your bank account's not a real thing. It's just an idea. And if you think money's hard to get, that might be part of the problem. It's it's <laughs> not even a real thing. It's just out there. It's just a thing. So for me, if you know, when I the the person that I went to when I most needed a coach, the the the, the part of my of my life that it made the biggest difference. It is amazing to me because I was part of a class of other people. And out of that class of people, we all paid the same amount of U.S. dollars to attend, but nobody got even half of what I did by outcome. There are people that have went back to that trainer and have paid him literally, I mean literally, Mike, 25 to 50 times more money than I've ever spent, Oof. but yet I have more. So, so what's the difference that I would say the difference is – you have to understand why you'd be paying a coach, you know, and, and I'll tell you for you guys to actually get an opportunity to get a hold of Mike and to work with him or to like get a hold of like a guy like Lonnie and work with him, do that because they're not exactly experts just falling off of trees all over the place. So if you do get that opportunity, take it. It is worth your money is definitely worth your time if you're trying to get somewhere. Yeah, and I think this is just a good way of compressing time. I mean, today I'm I'm doing some sports uh, formulation for a couple of companies and possibly on my own, and I just paid another guy that I know a big chunk of change because he has way more expertise and all the kind of nitty-gritty and stuff that I may just completely miss, you know? So it's well worth to take his experience, pay him for his time, and be like, all right, here's my plan, uh... Where did I goof up? <laughs> you know, what I forget? What am I missing? You know, do you think this is a good idea, bad idea, whatever? So it's just a, a good way to save yourself a lot of time and headache whenever possible. Oh, yeah, man. Big, and, you know, I, that, I'll tell you what. The, the, the metaphor I'd give you all for those of you that actually can hear what's, what's being said here. Okay, a $200 suit that you buy and get tailored to your body wears better than a thousand dollar suit that's not tailored to you yeah and if you can really grasp what i'm talking about here the the value of you getting in front of an expert that will work directly with you it make 
And the thing is this, you're only going to know that that conversation is beginning to happen when you have been able to tell them exactly what you want and when you want it and most importantly why you want it. Because they might have heard 50 other people this week tell them the same thing and they can share some immediate insight with you. But, you know, that'd be the biggest thing. It doesn't make sense to me to train if you're not going to result because it's just too much of a pain in the ass to do and not get an outcome. Yeah. So as we wrap up, what would you say for people listening would be like the top three actions that you would want them to take based on this conversation? First, first outcome is I would recommend that you really get dialed in on what you're trying to get and get a set of metrics for where you are now. If you want to improve your body composition, then I would ask you to know down to the pounds of fat mass versus pounds of fat free mass where you are at this moment. All right. And if you want to, if you have a strength goal, then we need to know what is the terms of the strength? What is it? What does it need to look like and where are you at in that context? The second thing I would say is that as, as a person who's hearing this, you need to have some kind of idea of what your body actually does. Okay. You don't need to memorize a medical textbook, but you really, it really will benefit you if you get an understanding of what organ systems are in your body and what they do working together and how that big picture, this amazing dance that's going on inside of you continuously, what that actually looks like. And and here's the great thing. Once you know how many bones are in your body, it'll always be that number. And once you know how many directions your spine could move in, it'll always be that number or less. It won't, it won't change day to day, right? Yeah. And then the third thing I would say is, is you have to become your own expert. And the problem is, is if you won't do that, you're going to be in one of two different boats most of the time. You're either going to be the person who's a sucker and you're going to be getting suckered, or you're going to be the person who's frustrated and you're going to always be frustrated. And the real problem is this, y'all. Suckers find themselves congregating together and frustrated people will find themselves congregating together. So if you're part of a community right now and most of the people bitch most of the time, I'm telling you that what they're doing is getting all over you and you need to get out of it. Those would be my three for today, Mike. Cool. That's awesome. Um do you have any way people can contact you, or you just prefer to stay hidden down in Texas? Man, I'll tell you what, y'all, I'm I'm simply not available. I'll tell you what, if you can find me, I'll work with you. I like that. We'll, That's good. We'll leave it at that. If you can find me, I'll work with you. But, you know, the thing is this, is I'm going to work with you to the extent that I want to. So, you know, like, <laughs> man, I'm not here to sell you. All right, if you contact me with a bunch of dumb questions and you don't want to do an exchange, I'm not dealing with you. Go find someone else. Um, If you want some help, but you're going to be picky and choosy on how much help help's going to look like, "Eh, man, I'm I'm just, it's not me, guys. I'm not, I'm not that kind of coach anymore. I'm going to, I'm the guy, I'll tell you what I'll be. I'm 35 right now. I weigh two, I weigh right about 201, 202. I will be the Saxon of my generation. That's, that really is my goal is more, more, more so any more than trying to help anybody get there by doing for them. It's just, I'm just going to run man. Just like how great people have ran throughout history. And we can look at their life and say, maybe I'm going to try to catch up. 
But uh, I think, you know, my guys like you have such a great personality for coaching. And over the last couple of years, I've seen that my personality for coaching is kind of rotten most of the time. <laughs> I don't know how to help. Like, I know how to help you if you have physical weakness. I don't know how to help you if you have mental weakness. I just don't anymore. And, and the thing is this, there's people that do, man. There are some fantastic people out there, probably someone in your community, whoever you are right now, that will put up with all your crap and they'll put up with all your excuses and all your other shit and they might be able to help you, but it won't be me. So, you know, hey, man, if you know me, you can hit me up. And if you don't know me, man, I'm not even that fun to be around. No big deal. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your time today, Adam. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, man, I love you guys. I hope you guys are safe. And uh, for everyone out there, hey, man, you can get amazingly better if you'll do some of these things for yourself. Just absolutely amazing. I look forward to to those of you that can really cross that line and go somewhere. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Yes, sir. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for phil one for fortress and one for myself dr lowry and they're thematic so you can go into our halls of iron store and choose based on your goal if you need something to learn or read or something nutritional you can look in my store uh, lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at phil's hall of iron and if you want something about motivation or daily training fortresses hall has what you're looking for there are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores we try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store and whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced you can take heart that you're not wasting your time the things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.